and welcome to the Well Endowed Podcast. I'm Andrew Paul. Edmonton Community Foundation plays many roles in the community. We are the largest non-governmental funder of the charitable sector in the greater Edmonton area, providing more than $30 million every year to hundreds of charities. We are also a community convener, providing space for communities to tell their stories. This is why we're partnering with the Edmonton Queer History Project to present Vreend versus Alberta, a special podcast series about the groundbreaking Supreme Court ruling that paved the way for equality for Canada's 2SLGBTQI community. Before we begin, we would like to note that the terms queer and trans and sexual and gender minorities are used in this series to refer to the 2SLGBTQI community as a whole. We acknowledge the great diversity within this community, and you can find more information about this in our show notes. And now, Vreend versus Alberta. The King's College had zero written or, or even communicated policy on homosexuality. I think what there was was an expectation that everybody that served at King's would agree with a traditional understanding of marriage. And that Monday morning, the article comes out, and my name's in it, of course. And so was the King's College. Now they really had to deal with it because now they were in the public. The college board and president demanded that he uh, resign. And it's sort of shocking that we ended up firing Delwyn, which was wrong. It was just simply wrong to fire him. And I'm going, you know, I'm a union guy. Like, what the hell's going on with that? Why, how, can they, how can they do that? It was another thing that very quickly people organized around and said, all right, what can we do? And for, for them to fire him simply for being gay, it just didn't sit well with this old prairie ferry. It became very apparent to me at the beginning of my presidency that there was a deep hurt. What this case did, it kind of lit the fire under the backsides of a lot of people because of the injustice of what happened. Welcome to episode two of Vreend versus Alberta. This series is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation and the Edmonton Queer History Project. I'm your host, Darren Hawken. In the previous episode, we learned how the creation of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms laid the groundwork for activists to begin pressing for progressive reform in Alberta. The Alberta government's refusal to include sexual orientation in its Individuals' Rights Protection Act IRPA, or IRPA for short, made it one of the few remaining provinces not to include the queer and trans community in its human rights legislation. While the rest of Canada's queer population was beginning to enjoy an expansion of equality, the Alberta Conservative government continued to stonewall any efforts to prohibit discrimination based on sexual orientation. Queer Albertans were still being actively discriminated against, facing the risk of being refused basic services, including housing and employment, simply because of who they loved. The worst part was that there was no legal recourse to address this discrimination. However, the creation of the Charter presented a new tool for change. All that was needed was a cause to rally behind, an injustice that could be used to launch a challenge to the exclusion of sexual orientation from the legislation in Alberta. That injustice would take place on January 28, 1991, when a laboratory coordinator employed at the King's College would be fired for being gay. This man was Delwyn Vreend. This chapter begins with Delwyn's coming out story. There were three of us in the class that 
were not into sports, and we would play with the girls and be on the swings and didn't like the intramural sports, and always in trouble with the grade six teacher because of that. And he actually kept us in after school once, uh, and it was obvious that he was concerned that we were gay. This was when we were supposed to have our sex education, and he did not, we were the only class that he never gave sex education to because he, did, he was not comfortable dealing with us. He kept us in after school and he said, look, boys play football, boys play soccer, uh, girls do skip rope, you need to be doing boys things. And I mean, it was very obvious that you know, we weren't good boys. Interestingly enough, my dad also taught at the same school. So my dad taught grade five, this was in grade six. I was devastated, we always took the walk home together. I was devastated because I knew that he had talked to my, my dad about this and, and we got home and I was not going up to dinner. I went down to my bedroom in the basement and I stayed there and my dad came by a little bit later uh, that evening and said, don't look, I know what's gone wrong, or what, what's gone on. It's not a problem with me. You do what you do. Uh, I don't agree with your, your teacher. You're good. Uh, you don't have to worry about it. He was really good with it. He was excellent as a, as a father that way. He could separate school and, and home and do that. So, but yeah, already grade six, uh, I, mean, I knew that other people were becoming aware that I might be gay. And then grade, grade seven, eight, nine, there was always, there was always the, the jock kid in the class that like, oh. <laughs> that, that me and the girls would always be flirting with. But then, you know, you get to high school and, ah, oh, this is a different, different class again. And sort of back in the closet and, you know, a little bit more careful. And then off to university. My first year of university was at the King's College. And, uh, yeah, you're just sort of getting used to a new world. And then I go to Michigan, to another Christian college uh, in Michigan, a uh, very conservative Christian Reformed Church college. The three hell years of my life, I hated them. And yeah, stay in the closet. I mean, I, I knew guys that, I mean, they were obviously gay. I was just, I was not comfortable enough. I was, I was not out. By that time, I at least knew the word gay. I could, I could identify as being gay as opposed to just being attracted to other, other guys. And I know that there was at least one guy that was trying to date me and I, there's, there was no, I, in my head, I had to come out to my parents first because if they found out in any other way, that would just be devastating. And I had always thought, I gotta tell them before I turn 21. And I didn't manage. I was a little bit disappointed, uh, but I did finally tell them, I gave them a phone call, and then chickened out. I said, no, 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 i sorry. Well, I'll talk another time. So my dad was like, come on, Dylan, you obviously have something you wanna talk about, just. And then they said, was it, you know, have you, have you done something wrong? Are you in trouble? Did you kill someone? <laughs> it's like, no, 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 it's nothing like that. Okay, fine. Yeah, I'm gay. And my dad said, you know, and he was, he was immediately, uh, yeah, well, that's not a problem. Uh, we love you, whatever. My, one of my mom's first, first questions was, you're not gonna start dressing differently, are you? <laughs> but uh, they, were, they were immediately quite accepting, so. That was a huge weight off my, my back and I actually went out that, I, I couldn't sleep that night. I was just, just so high from, from, like I'm finally out. I had, I was not, no I was actually, I was working at the King's College at the time. I had probably just started at the King's College 
they had, the King's College had zero written or, or even communicated policy on, uh, on homosexuality. Uh, that they in fact developed after they found out that I was gay. Then they wanted to come up with a policy. And then they wanted me, to, of course, to sign up to that policy after the fact. Melanie Humphreys is the current president of King's University. When she accepted the position in 2013, she could see that the scars of the Vereen firing ran deep, even decades after the event. So as far as I know, there wasn't an actual policy, which is uh, difficult when you think about, okay, we're releasing somebody. But I think what there was was an expectation which is almost even more difficult. There was an expectation that everybody that served at King's would agree with a traditional understanding of marriage. And so that became the messiness that the community dealt with. When, when the uh, president of the college had first been informed that I was gay, he brings me into the office and he says, look, we've been told and we just want to confirm that you might be gay. And he didn't let me confirm yet. He was, uh, he said, I understand you might feel more comfortable with men than with women. And he was very nervous. And my first thought and my first response to him was, well, I'm definitely not more f uh, comfortable with you right now. So I'm not sure that I would say I'm comfortable with men. But uh, yeah, he had to confirm. And it's, it's like, OK, well, we're, we're doing nothing at this point. This is just confirmation. And this has been to the board of the college. We'll keep you informed. And one of the first things that they did was try to come up with a, a written policy on, on all sorts of things, but in, in specific uh, homosexuality. They never really got to a full-fledged implementation of that policy while I was there. That process took you know, a year, a, a year after they had initially hauled me into the president's office to confirm whether I was gay or not. It was actually a process of over a year that they tried to solve this and engage this. Um, uh, in conversations and with Delvin. And uh, so I don't know much about it specifically, but I know that there was a policy that the board tried to adopt after this release of Delvin from his employment, and th that never passed. Delvin was already in the process of moving on with his life. Even while employed at King's College, he had enlisted the services of a lawyer. Delvin was aware that getting fired from King's was a real possibility. He also knew it could be an opportunity to challenge an unjust and homophobic system and wanted to be prepared. He was becoming more involved in Edmonton's queer activist community, including working at the Gay and Lesbian Alliance, known as GALA, alongside a man who had become a prominent and effective voice for queer and trans Albertans, a man whose own activism began with an event that changed the course of his life forever. In 1981, the police raided the Pisces Health Spa in Edmonton, Alberta, this was possibly the largest mass arrest in Alberta's history. Sixty gay men were arrested and faced criminal charges. One of the men who was unjustly arrested that night was Michael Fair. Michael would later become Edmonton's first openly gay city councillor. Gala, which was a gay and lesbian awareness uh, group, which I was a key member along with a couple other people kind of helped organize and run it. And we were a political group. We were interested in getting things done on, uh, from a political side. We held a conference at the hotel by the former downtown airport. And as part of that conference, we had a number of sessions. We pulled in a couple of people from elsewhere as keynote. But we wanted to do a session about parents, with parents of somebody who was gay or lesbian. And Delwyn Vreen was a member of our group. And Delwyn said, I think my parents would do that. 
So he went ahead, and his parents agreed to do a session about what it's like for parents of somebody that's gay. That also got into the media. It was one of the few times I'm aware of that parents had spoken out at all in, in Edmonton. And here you have regular Edmontonians, I put it that way, talking about their son. Uh, that got into the media. I don't know what the name of the conference was, but it was dealing with the, the right situation here in Alberta and how we could, could advance our cause, you know, force the government of, of Alberta to come into line with the Canadian laws. But for that conference, we wanted some publicity. And one of the potential stories was my fear of being fired because I was gay. And initially that story was going to be with the Edmonton Journal. And it was going to be an anonymous story. Well, anonymous. I was, there were no, no identities going to be revealed. So they were going to interview me and my father and the King's College. And the, uh, the reporter, she actually asked each of us at the, at the beginning of interviews, I understand that, that you want this to be anonymous, but if the others agree to use their names, will you agree to use your name? And yeah, I was like, yeah, if, if the King's College and my dad are willing to, it's like, yeah, you can use my name. And she said that to everyone. And everyone agreed. So the Monday morning of the conference, I had taken the day off because we had the conference. Uh, and that Monday morning, the article comes out. And my name's in it, of course. And so is the King's College. And my dad. And I had to go into, into work on the Tuesday morning. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, what's going to happen? Now? My heart's dumping, and I just, I, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, the very first thing is the, the receptionist. Oh, was she furious with me, because <laughs> she had to answer calls all day. And I wasn't there. And she said, did you take the day off because you knew I'd be getting calls? But no, I, just, I didn't even know my name was going to be in the papers, to be honest. <laughs> but she was not happy. And that was, that was sort of the impetus to push this a little bit further. Now they really had to deal with it because now they were in the public. Delwyn was working at the time at uh, King's College. He'd been there quite almost two years and done well. But ultimately, the college board and president demanded that he uh, resign. I received a call into the president's office on a Monday morning and he, he called me and my boss in and sat us down and, and presented me a paper. He said, um, we'd like you to, to, uh, to sign this. And I'm reading it. It's, it's a letter of resignation. It's like, I'm not going to sign this. Why would I sign this? Like, well, if you don't sign it, your contract will be terminated as of noon today. Well, I'm not signing it. Okay, well, at noon today, you're fired. So they fired him. I knew Delwyn quite well, worked with him on uh, this group, our group quite well. It was a, a wonderful fellow, and this was just devastating that they'd fire someone like him. But there was no protection for someone like him. The college could do that, and, and they were clear that's the reason they were getting rid of him, and there was no recourse. Joachim Seger worked at King's College at the time that Delwyn was terminated. He was the chair of the music department and remembers the tension and stress that the situation created for both students and faculty. When I heard that Delwyn was fired, I was very upset, shocked, because Kings usually doesn't do things very quickly, and in this situation they didn't either. I think from the time that Delwyn admitted that he was homosexual, I think it took a year 
before the board actually fired him. They really struggled with whether or not they should fire Delwyn. And there were many on the board, I think, who were vehemently against it. And I even heard that some board members resigned from the board because of it. On faculty, I would say at least 80% of the faculty uh, was also against the firing. And I think part of the reason for that is that we are a community that generally embraces difference. And King's was like that from the beginning. And it's sort of shocking that we ended up firing Delwyn, which was wrong. It was just simply wrong to fire him. And at that time, we were also asked not to speak to the press. But many of us, of course, would speak to our friends and faculties from other institutions. Because you can imagine that when an institution fires a gay person, the other faculty and staff are implicated in that decision, even though they may not have agreed with it. It was unbelievable. He was someone who had a decent job, a really nice fellow, active, uh, smart, and fired from a job he wanted and was doing well because he was gay. And it was hard to weigh that with everything else that was going on that we were, we were trying to achieve and but emphasize the importance of making changes legally, legislation-wise. That, that if you can't get some things in that make sure discrimination doesn't happen or there's a recourse, there's nothing you can do about it then. And, and that feeling of uh, powerlessness, I mean, I think of Delwyn in particular, of course, it's affected his, you know, paying his bills and all the rest kind of thing and that, but the powerlessness of not being able to do anything about it was really awful. Murray Billet is an activist who has played a significant behind-the-scenes role in many advances in equality for queer and trans rights on the prairies. A labor advocate, he also was the mover and shaker behind elevating Winnipeg's first openly gay mayor to power, before moving to Edmonton to exercise his own brand of influence to help Michael Fair get elected as the first openly gay elected official in Alberta. He was very involved in AIDS advocacy in Edmonton when he met Delwyn, and before long was using his connections within the Edmonton community to network and fundraise. He also had extensive experience dealing with the media, a skill that would become very important as this case advanced. How I ended up uh, working with Delwyn uh, was at HIV Edmonton. It was called the AIDS Network when I first moved here in 1990. Delwyn had... Um, been fired from King's College, and I was on the board of directors of HIV Edmonton at the time, and uh, Delwyn explained to, to me that, that he'd been fired for being gay. And I'm going, you know, I'm a union guy, like, what the hell's going on with that? Why, how, can they, how can they do that? So uh, with that, met Delwyn, and, and I'm going, my God, we've got to do something about this. It was another thing that, that very quickly people organized around and said, all right, what can we do? kind of thing. Is there any opportunity to do something? And also whether Delwyn was interested in doing anything. You know, this was about him. And, and a very careful thinking of, of wanting, if we did something, that, that Delwyn was comfortable with it and that he was willing to do that. So a group, and I was a bit a part of it, but, but by this time, other people were leading on this. You couldn't have met a more solid young man, professional young man, 
thoughtful, all about family, all about friends. And that's the, that's the part that really got me going. He's the kind of guy that, that just should never get fired for any reason. You know, he, he, he's a compliant, consistent, professional kind of guy. And for, for them to fire him simply for being gay, I just found outrageous. You know, when, when somebody of that caliber gets released for that particular reason, it just didn't sit well with this old prairie fairy. And it just, it got me going. And that's, that's partly what this case did. It kind of lit the fire under the backsides of a lot of people because of the injustice of what happened. Um, know, of course, by that time, I'd already for a couple of years been seeing a lawyer every once in a while just to keep touch. We knew that this was eventually going to happen. So he, you know, we would, we would keep touch where uh, if this happens, what do I do? If this happens, what do I do? He had me keep a little journal of all the meetings that were taking place uh, so that, you know, we had a complete record of, of what was happening. Because we were not so convinced that the King's College would be this stupid. But the King's College was very clear that the reason they were firing me was because I was gay. The stage was set for Delwyn and his budding team to begin their journey toward equality. The first step would be to file a complaint with the Alberta Human Rights Commission. Meanwhile, the faculty and student body at King's College were trying to make sense of the college's decision to fire Delwyn. As Joachim Seger explains, it was shocking to many, as it was no secret that King's had several faculty and students who were also part of the queer and trans community. I just couldn't understand why King's, with the way we see life, and even our Christian convictions, would come to the conclusion that this is what we would have to do. The faculty was also very upset, and several faculty went to speak with the president and went to the board and tried to get the board to rescind their decision to fire Delwyn. So there was certainly action on the part of faculty. The students, I think, were confused and certainly upset, especially, I would say, in, in the area of music, which I can only really speak for, uh, because we did have gay students who were singing alongside heterosexual students in the choir, for example. And so it made it very uncomfortable for the students to know how to deal with that. I did speak with uh, LGBTQ people at King's about the firing. And in one case, the faculty member decided not to renew their contract. And this was a sessional faculty member. And I felt badly because I wanted to support that faculty member, as did my colleague, and wanted this person to continue teaching for us. But uh, that person didn't feel that was really a safe environment at that point. I, did all, I also spoke with uh, professors in other institutions, and in one case asked one of the profs to do a presentation at King's, and that prof refused to do so because we had fired Dalwin. And so I think there was backlash, which was very difficult for the faculty at King's, who by and large supported Dalwin and supported our homosexual brothers and sisters. It became very apparent to me really clear um, at the beginning of my presidency that there was a deep hurt 
that was still resident in the community related to the Vereen case. Um, a lot of shame actually surrounding it. And part of that is the King's University is very much a university that sees itself helping to build a more humane, just, and sustainable world. And in very real ways, we feel like we failed in that. We failed Delvin, and we failed in that vision. Um, so I think that shame is something I encountered from the start. Um, and, and so that was one of the things that uh, became a real key to how do we address this? Do we talk about it? How do we talk about things that are really difficult? Um, and what kind of things do we want to see change? Later in the series, we will revisit the current state of affairs at King's College, now King's University, and hear about the changes that have occurred as it evolved into a more inclusive and modern institution. But before that, the rest of Delwyn's story. In the next episode, Delwyn and his legal team take their first steps towards justice, or so they thought. Coming up on the next episode of Vreen versus Alberta, the only avenue that Delwyn had was to file a human rights complaint. How can a government direct a supposedly independent agency tasked with human rights not to investigate certain human rights? They said, we can't accept this complaint because the words sexual orientation are not included in the legislation. It was not a popular case. The lawyers were not banging down the doors to take on this case. And that its same name kept coming up again and again and again, Sheila Greckel. Sheila Greckel? The Sheila Greckel. And went home and that evening sent her a note, sent a small check because there was no money for this appeal. I think I phoned him and I said, I need you, I don't need your money, I need you to come and help us. I barely knew where the courthouse was. Clearly I was the wrong person for this job. Another thing you learn, if equality means anything, it means that people have the right to be protected against hatred, and there should be no exceptions to that. This episode of Vreen vs. Alberta is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation and the Edmonton Queer History Project. It was written, directed, and hosted by Darren Hagen, and it was edited and chase-produced by Andrew Paul. In this episode, you heard the voices of Delwyn Vreen, Melanie Humphreys, Michael Fair, Joachim Seger, Marie Billet, Doug Elliott, Doug Stollery, and Sheila Greckel. The music in Vreen vs. Alberta is written, composed, and recorded by Darren Hagen. Many thanks to our sound operators, Ariana Brophy and Andrew Paul. We'd also like to thank our production assistants, Joanne Pierce and Graham Loomer. Special thanks to Doug Stollery, Cambridge LLP, Cindy Davis, the Edmonton Public Schools Archives and Museum, and the King's University. You can learn more about Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org and check out more queer history by visiting the Edmonton Queer History Project at edmontonqueerhistoryproject.ca.